Romans chapter 5, starting in verse number 12. We've already covered the first half of this chapter, and, and um, now let's, let's drop down into this. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We now go into a parenthetical section here, down through verse 17. We'll read those. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not... As the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so, uh, and, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of, uh, is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord... I certainly love you. I want to thank you for your word, your mercy, your grace. And Lord, I know that I need your help. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to speak clearly. Lord, dealing with such, such weighty, important matters tonight, Lord, that you would open our understanding and, Lord, stir our hearts. Lord, use this to draw us closer to you and to meet the needs that are here. Lord, as we look at what you did in order to save us, and the importance of it. Lord, please bless and work. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly repented and placed their faith in Christ, Lord, I certainly pray for that this evening, that they would uh, come to know Christ as Savior. Lord, I do think of Kenny. Lord, I pray that you would, you would convict him and save him, Lord. I love you, and I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We're getting into Romans chapter 5. It's one of my, well, we've been in Romans chapter 5, excuse me. It's one of my favorite chapters in the book. It is weighty, it is important, and there are times you just feel incredibly inadequate in trying to go through this. And, um, but this is such an importance that this week and the following week when we get into finishing the chapter next week. Anyhow, throughout history, certain individuals have had profound influence on, uh, on the world, around their nation. Um, shaping things, changing uh, cultures, changing the way people live. Um, people like Henry Ford came to my mind when I was thinking of this. Um, so I decided to research him a little bit. Of course, he's known for the assembly line. Actually getting a factory going, using assembly line, and it really was amazing how it took off. I read to you how, how many he, he sold when he made his Model T Ford, the first vehicle that the common man really could afford and buy in the United States of America. 
by 1924, I think the assembly line was 1913, the first car, sort of car he made, I can't remember what it was called, was in 1896. And that was just, that was just uh, almost like a four-wheel bicycle is what it looked like. And, uh, but then in 1913, I think it was, is when the Model T was finished. That'll be the very first one, I'm not sure. By 1924, 10 million sold. 10 million. So that was permeating the nation right there, and it was changing things drastically for us. He's had a great influence, not only in our nation, but on the entire world. Or the Wright brothers. The fellows that believed in a prince, looking at birds, discovered a principle of flight. And, of course, we see their impact every day in this world, throughout this world. There's others who had impact in another direction, such as Charles Darwin. Look at the impact he has had on this world. You do not want to be in that man's spot in hell. I do, know, I do know that. That man has it all against him. Not only did he have light and knowledge that he chose to reject, whew, the direction he went. Others in different areas have had massive influence on the world. People like William Shakespeare. Um, his works of literature and drama have had enormous effect. Isaac Newton, that physicist. I mean, we're still reaping from, from his influence on the world. And of course, the list could go on and on. But the question arises, who has had the most significant impact on all of humanity? There's two names. You can put all the others together. They don't come close to Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Their impact on humanity is enormous. That's what Paul is driving at here. The enormous impact of each one. One individual. Adam and then Christ. Two men in a single act of each have made a greater impact on the world than any other person in human history. Paul, coming into chapter 5, now through four and a half chapters, as we have been looking at week after week going through the book of Romans, has been trying to be clear how salvation works through justification by faith alone. Through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The, this critical conclusion of this chapter, as we're going to go from verse 12 all the way through verse 21, addresses such an important question. How can, how can one man's act, what, what one man did in one single act, result in redemption? Think about this. We know when, when, when I say that to an independent Baptist church, it doesn't seem like that hard of a question. Because we're a Wednesday night service. We have a concept of redemption. We have a concept of what Christ did on the cross. But let's just back up a second. Paul came out of Judaism. Let's think about Judaism or any other world religion for that matter. Where salvation typically hinges on individual effort to be saved. Something you have to do. 
The idea or the notion that someone else's action can bring about your own personal reconciliation to God is foreign. It's foreign in almost every single, well, it's foreign in all world religions except for the true truth of the gospel. It's foreign in, really in all of human thinking apart from religion. The conventional belief in man-made religions, including the pseudo-Judaism of Paul's day, insists on personal efforts for righteousness. However, this expectation is not possible for man to obtain. As Paul would realize that in Christ when he gets into chapter 7, what I thought was unto life was actually unto death. Speaking of the law. So this text, down through verse 21, is answering the question and illuminating that the incredible influence of both Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ have had on all of humanity. How it is possible for God to save mankind through one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his argument he is making is so profound that if a a man who was steeped in, especially in Judaism, could begin to relate to Paul's very point, the essence of his argument, as to how it's possible that, yes, it has nothing to do with you, that it is the actions of another that is key to your reconciliation with the Creator. You'll notice, as you come to the conclusion of this chapter from verse 12 on, There are several words which stand out to characterize the truth of this very important section of scriptures. The word one. It is repeated 11 times. Underscoring the significance of those two men. Adam as one and Christ as one. Secondly, the term reign appears five times, emphasizing the dominion that each man had. Adam and Christ. Over distinct realms. And, and then finally, the phrase, much more, or something along those lines, is alluded to or said directly five times. Signifying, as we're going to see, that in Jesus Christ... Mankind gains far more than it ever lost in Adam. So let's get into this tonight. Basically, it's just going to be simply two points that we're going to be looking at. Adam, and then Christ. This section that we're looking at right now this evening is a stark contrast between the two, of course. Between what Adam did in his action and what Christ did through his action. Adam been entrusted with dominion over over the old creation, if you will, but falling to temptation and sin, resulting in the loss of his kingdom. Consequently, all of mankind faces condemnation because of his action. And then they contrast this to Christ, is what Paul does. 
as the king over the new creation, if you will. Through his obedience on the cross, through that action on the cross, Christ brings forth righteousness, he brings forth justification, he brings forth this gift. Not only does it undo all the damage that Adam did, but as he stresses, it achieves much more. So, first off, let's talk about Adam. Look at verse 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. For until the law, sin was, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Think about this. Here's Adam. He's created by God. God presents to him Eve. I mean, the perfect wife, the perfect man in the garden, given dominion, given instruction, given one prohibition. That was it. One. A perfect environment. I promise you, the garden. Adam never showed up for a church service when it was minus 11. Of course, I think for John, it's pretty warm right now. <laughs> Perfect environment. Let's look what happened. Go to Genesis chapter 3 with me. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So this is the single action by Adam. An action by one man, one event, that has had more impact on humanity than any other event or group of people or single individual apart from the Lord Jesus Christ um, on all of humanity. Verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree, trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Isn't the devil just... Uh, this, is, uh, this is not going to be a, a sermon at all on Satan and how he gets us to fall, but still, that verse always grabs me. How the devil still to this day uses the exact same principle in verse 5. When you know truth, you know what's right, you see it, you believe it, but all of a sudden the devil tempts you yeah, and, and, and just wants to tweet. Yeah, listen, you, you don't have to follow that. You don't, really. You don't. And it appeals to your flesh. And you want to believe that side that your flesh wants to grab onto. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Sin entered the world. Let's think about this for a minute. What just transpired and how everything changed that day. 
and set the world on an entirely different direction. First, I think it's important to remember that Adam is not the originator of sin. Satan was in the fall. That was the original sin. And even Jesus said so in John chapter 3, how how the devil sinned from the beginning. The devil was the one who instituted sin, who brought sin into the universe with the rebellion in heaven. But now Adam, though, is the one who brings sin into the world, being tempted of the devil. And just like I warned, I happened to see that last week. I think it was, I think it was Sunday night or Sunday morning I brought it up. That vile, vile cartoon for children that just came out that has this exact story in it. And it's portrayed as a good thing, as, as a story of man's redemption. How Satan is actually portrayed as the victim in heaven. As the one who had the better ideas. Cast out. Who falls in love with Eve. Vile. Adam being tempted of the devil here brings sin into the world. Someone looking at this like to argue, he just ate of the fruit, it wasn't that big of a deal. Oh yes it was. Isn't it amazing how we like to minimize our sin? Think about what's behind this, though, when he ate. Here's just some suppositions of what had been going on in both of their minds. One, the sin of unbelief. You say, how so? Not believing the penalty God gave. Not believing it would hit. Believing the lie of Satan, the deception of Satan. And Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Ambition and pride. They aspired to be as gods. Covetousness. Not content with what God had given them. Sensuality. Wishing to gratify the flesh without regard to the Creator. Ingratitude, turning against the God who had given them life, a perfect environment. So much behind it. One prohibition was given. But that one prohibition led to selfishness rising in the heart. Disobeying without being deceived. By the way, an important side note that we need to make here right now is this. We look at Romans chapter 5 and obviously Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. Make no mistake about it. Listen to me. Adam was a real person. It's not a metaphor. It's not just symbolic that that if those of you have a Catholic background know exactly what I'm talking about. Adam was just not some made up metaphorical story when God created a bunch of men. And Eve was not a metaphor representing a bunch of women. Just as Christ in in Romans 5 is one man, Adam is one man. It is a real, true event. Any evolutionary lie or religious lie that seeks to eliminate Adam as a literal, historical person 
is a, that is a direct assault on the gospel and the scripture itself. So Adam is there. They have the one prohibition. Just think for a second. When Adam, what all changed? When Adam took of the fruit. I started thinking about that this afternoon. What would have changed at that very moment? It was actually scary to think about. I mean, I believe the effect was immediate. Adam's nature changed. His very makeup changed. His constitution, the way he is, it's, it's over with, it changed. It's now degenerate. It's now sinful and vile. He fell from purity. He fell from innocence. He fell into guilt. When we sin, we have guilt, don't we? We do. But think about this. We have that measure of guilt as already sinners. That emotion was not known. It didn't exist yet. Shame wasn't there. Guilt wasn't there. Impurity wasn't there. Unholiness wasn't there. And in that moment, he experienced all those emotions. His nature changed. Shame hit him. Guilt. Emotions he did not know existed. Because they hadn't yet. The entire world changed at that moment. Sin entered the world. God's grace and mercy are incredible. Adam, as we know, is our literal father. We are descendants from him, every single one of us. It is because of this that all of us have sinned. We read in verses like Psalm 51 and verse 5, and how in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58, 3. I've got to turn there. I can't. I, it, it, well, I'm, I'm going to botch it. <clears throat> says, the wicked are, yeah, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. The truth is, the result of that day, the same nature that was in Adam, that was now corrupt and sinful, would be passed on to all the generations, to all of his children. We sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. It's in our nature. Why do we have this nature? Why? Why is it that we're prone to lust and prone to sin and prone to lie and prone to covet and prone to be wicked? Why is it, as it tells us in the verses in Psalms, you don't have to teach a baby how to sin. That baby can lie to you. I have had five kids. They know when to lie already. It's amazing. At six months, 
They're crying. There's nothing wrong with them. Why is it that we don't have to be taught any of that? It's in our nature. Why do we have that? Because of one man's act of disobedience. Adam. Now, don't get me wrong. If that was you, you'd have did the same thing. But nonetheless, the principle here is this. Because of the act of one man, you are condemned. Because when you're born into this world, because you come from Adam's now corrupt nature that is unholy, impure, and vile, you will sin. As a result, we now have the consequence that God told Adam what happened was immediate, and that was death. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Think about this now. It uses the term here how death reigned. Death, it was, death has dominion. Death has had dominion since that day. Mankind trying to figure out how to get around death. Listen, death is not a cancer problem. It's not a heart issue. It's not a disease issue. I don't care how much you go to the gym, how much you exercise. You will die. Because it's a sin issue. And you're not changing that. Adam, prior to taking of the fruit, was not subject unto death. But the moment... Just think of all that hit him at that moment. I mean, the guilt, the shame, the impurity, the unholiness, experiencing what that's like. You, you know when you sin and you have that, you, you, you just feel filthy. But he had never experienced that. That's why he says, listen, you, you need, we've got to do something, we've got to cover ourselves. Guilt and shame and impurity coming over him. Thoughts. His very nature changed. And death hit. You know what happened to him at that very moment? Aging began. And a separation from God was immediate. There are three distinct types of death in the Bible. Spiritual death. Separation from God. Ephesians 2. Verse couple of verses. Ephesians 4. Adam experienced that immediately. Physical death, we all know that is coming. And then thirdly, eternal death. That is being separated from God in the lake of fire in hell. Now that death, think about that. Think about that separation from the, from the creator. Physical death, aging to pain and suffering until you die. Separation in an eternal lake of fire in the end. All started the very moment he took of that fruit. The consequences were in place. Death has been sovereign since. Having its rule in the earth since the garden. Job 18.14 says, His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. Speaking of death. Sin brought in death, which rings. Man will never, ever defeat death in all his efforts. 
Think about this. The whole structure of sin, death, condemnation. It all came through the action of one man. Adam. Hell, separation. All this, all this, all that comes with death. All the consequences of sin. All the emotions are present because of the actions of one man. Adam. His actions, his action, had an enormous impact on all of creation. Death comes to all men. Paul then covers a sort of a theological issue why he's here. Look, let's go back to Romans, look at verse 14 right there. <clears throat> wow, time is going fast. He said this. Let me, let, me, let me go to 13 to put it in context here. I need to cover this. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. All right. So Paul here is covering another important theological issue. Let me cover the phrase first, after the similitude of Adam's transgression. It sort of ties all this together. Similitude, of course, means in like manner, the same way. Uh, um, it's a Hebrewism. So he's saying, well, it's, as, he, as he points out here, they had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So it's dealing with those who were in existence from the garden, after the fall, until the law. So Paul is addressing that group of humanity. All right? Because Adam had one law. Don't eat of the tree. Then for 2,500 years, God had not given the law yet. And so Paul is dealing with those who lived in that time frame. Those who didn't sin after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Those who had no law. And as we all know, death still reigns. Because it isn't the law that makes them sinners. They are sinners. And he says, listen, no, it, it is the sin itself. He says, uh, he, he says, even though that law was not given, man is a sinner. And so death still had the power Regardless of no law to impute or charge, we are all sinners because of Adam. And death, therefore, will reign. That is the consequence of sin. We are sinners regardless of the law. The law shows us our sin. It manifests itself. And, 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 and it, it, when we see the law, it's the manifestation, the reality of our actions, of what we're doing. But as you know, in Romans 2, there's a law in all of our hearts. Even before the law, when somebody told a lie, you know what? They knew, that's just not right. 
So the point is, all have been subject to death, not because of sinful acts specifically against the Mosaic law, but because of their own inherent sinful nature, which exists because of the disobedience of one man. Now, when I first began preparing this message, I thought I would only get through to verse 14, and I was right. And so we're actually going to stop right there. We're going to cover 15 through 21, and then we'll get into the other one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can see the point he's making, can't you? How every single, especially every man in Judaism, would realize I, I do have a sinful nature because of one man. I am condemned because of one man, Adam. Paul's point is going to be this. Then how can you not see that the road to justification is not through you? It's through one man, the second Adam. Can you just see that coming up for a religious person, it clicking? Wait, I could see it. I can see how it's not me, how it is the actions of another that will bring about my reconciliation to God. Not what I do, but what the second Adam did. And, as we're going to see next week, it is so much more. We gain so much more than what we lost. It really is amazing. We gain so much more than what Adam lost in the garden. God's plan was incredible. I mean, it's amazing what he did. Just, just incredible. His wisdom is beyond measurement. But we will get into that next week. With heads bowed and eyes.